God is faithful. Now, how do we define faithful? In fact, if you were to label it, if you were to sum it up, would you say it's uh, being dedicated? I think that's accurate. Would you say it's probably being consistent? It's being dependable and it's being trustworthy? Would you describe it as maybe being steady? Well, as we talk about such synonyms, we, we find really that we're describing what the Christian life ought to be like. Christian people ought to be faithful people because our Savior, the one Christianity is named after, is faithful. Well, how faithful is God? Let's talk about it. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn way back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy in the seventh chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you've ever traveled out west and you've been to a old Jellystone, as Yogi Bear called it, or or, or Yellowstone Park, you would have uh, probably taken in Old Faithful. Old Faithful is a famous geyser, and it pretty much goes off every hour and about every 60 minutes apart or so. And it shoots a stream of, of boiling water up 170 feet into the air. It's very faithful. Well, we are in a series, and we've been talking about what God is like. And, of course, God is love, and God is mercy, and God is justice, and God is holy, and God is a number of other things. But God is faithful. There is none more faithful than our God. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read about that, beginning in verse number 7, talking about God's people. It says, The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, for the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Notice it mentions the L-O-R-D, all in caps, Jehovah, Lord thy God, He is God, in verse 9, the faithful God. What is God like? Well, He's faithful. We're going to be talking about God's faithfulness today, but let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your faithfulness. We come before Thee to learn from Thy Word more about this wonderful subject. Help us now to listen carefully. Help us now to trust You more and help us as a result to live more by faith, knowing Thou art faithful. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a Chinese missionary who was kind of an itinerant preacher and kind of a tent maker, if you will, who worked on the side, but worked as a a farmer to 
to supplement his income. Well, there was a group of uh, evangelists, Chinese evangelists, who had this campaign put together to go to neighboring villages there and to, to try and witness to these people and sow them down with the seed of the gospel. And they wanted this farmer slash preacher to come along with them. Well, he said, I haven't planted my wheat yet. It was spring and it was time for him to plant his wheat. And as soon as he said that, I haven't planted my wheat yet, there was like that still small voice inside of him that said, your wheat? Do you trust me? Well, he knew it was uh, basically God pricking his heart and telling him by faith to step out and go along with these preachers and witness in these villages and trust him with his crop later on. So he did. He, he decided to go with these other preachers, and his, his neighboring farmer friend called him a fool for doing so, said, you're not going to get your crop in in time, you're a fool. But he went on, he trusted God, he preached the gospel to these neighboring villages for a, a couple of weeks, and, and finally he came back and he, he put his crop in. Well, he went back to actually preaching afterwards, and it didn't rain for about a week, and it didn't rain for a second week. Actually, there hadn't been any rain that spring at all. The, the, the neighbor's crop had come up and it had turned green, but then it had turned yellow and then it had died off. But then the rain started to fall and, and the crop of this missionary slash preacher began to grow and, and that fall he harvested this bountiful crop. And from that point on, all the neighboring farmers watched him to see when he would actually plant his crop. You know, God is so faithful if, if we will just trust him. A faithful God blesses faithfulness. And here in our text, we have a tremendous truth taught to God's people, the people of God at that time. And God tells them in verse number 7 that He didn't set His love upon them or choose them because they were more in number than any people. He reminds them, for ye were the fewest of all people. Sometimes we pat ourselves on the back thinking we're some big catch, and God really has cause to bless us. Probably the Jews at this time were feeling that way, and God reminds them, "Uh uh-uh, that wasn't it at all. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, notice his promise there and his faithfulness to keep it, he says, Hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then I love verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. God is faithful. Now, how do we define faithful? In fact, if you were to label it, if you were to sum it up, would you say it's uh, being dedicated? I think that's accurate. Would you say it's probably being consistent and it's, it's being uh, dependable and it's being trustworthy? Would you describe it as maybe being steady? Well, as we talk about such synonyms, we, we find really that we're describing what the Christian life ought to be like. Christian people ought to be faithful people because our Savior, the one Christianity is named after, is faithful. We read this of him in Revelation 19.11. John the Revelator says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called, what? Faithful and true. Here we have John, and he's getting a glimpse of really uh, a battle that's going to begin and be over before it begins. Because it has a one-man army. The battle of Armageddon is going to be decided by the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice here he's called faithful and true. What is God like? He's faithful. Well, how faithful is God? Let's talk about it. 
First of all, we see his faithful conversion. His faithful conversion. Look in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. When I speak of conversion, I speak here of, of, of salvation, of uh, being born again, as Jesus Christ called it, or saved, as the Bible calls it. How to get to heaven. You ever wonder about that? What does a person need to do in order to get to heaven? Some of you here, you're sitting here, you know the answer to that. But there are some sitting here in a group this size, no doubt, and, and you have, a, I guess, an opinion of what you think a person ought to do. You speculate, perhaps, on that subject, but you probably aren't aware of the fact that you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, that you can possess a salvation in this life that you'll never lose and one that'll change your life. Salvation is not in turning over a new leaf. Getting to heaven is not a matter of a doing better, you know, or some kind of a mental ascent to orthodox doctrine from the Bible. That's not how you get to heaven. Salvation is an act of God. Salvation requires God, a faithful God who is faithful in conversion. Notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse number 9, it simply starts out by saying, God is faithful by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's speaking here of getting saved. For me, it was March 5th, 1981. God called me into the fellowship of his dear Son, Jesus Christ. Notice that word called there. Kaleo in the, in the Greek simply means drawn or bid or invited. You do not get saved without God reaching out to you first. That's what this verse is saying. God is faithful. And Paul here is talking to born-again Christians, church members at Corinth. God is faithful by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Has God ever reached out to you, convicted you, drawn you, shown you your need, sent the truth your way? I'll never forget back in... uh, well, it was about this time of the year, over uh, 30-some years ago. And, and there was a person who was saved that God brought across my path and, and gave me literature and gave me tracts and witnessed to me. Of course, at first, I put the wall up like so many of us. Uh, I said, none of that for me, and, and didn't want anything to do with it. I mocked this person, but that was God reaching out to me. God in His faithfulness drawing me unto Himself. Maybe you sit here today, and, and uh, that's where you're at. Maybe you've been wondering a little bit lately about, you know, heaven and salvation and eternity and, and what's going on in this world. And, and maybe there are some questions in your heart along those lines. That could be God reaching out to you in love and in faithfulness, drawing you. You know, Jesus said in John six forty four that no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. It takes a faithful con- conversion because God must be part of it in drawing us. Have you ever had a time in your life when God was reaching out to you in faithfulness and drawing you? Many years ago, there was a GI who had just finished his stint with the Army. His name was Roger Sims, and uh, he was from Illinois. He was actually hitchhiking back in those days, trying to get back to his hometown, which was a few hours out of Chicago. He put his thumb out, car after car went by, and Finally saw the sleek black Cadillac coming. He thought, all right, he'll really pick me up. But he stuck his thumb out, and sure enough, that sleek Cadillac pulled over. A fine-looking man, maybe 50-ish, was driving, and, and he said, soldier, hop in. 
And so Roger Sims hopped in, and Roger Sims was a born-again Christian. And Roger Sims uh, was along for the ride with this apparently wealthy businessman from Chicago. Last name was Hanover. And uh, he began to talk to Mr. Hanover about the weather and about sports and about this and about that. But they were about 30 minutes from Roger's hometown when the Lord kind of pricked his heart. Look, you ought to be witnessing to this fella, telling him about Christ and salvation. And so Roger took a look at this, this distinguished fella, dressed well, apparently wealthy, and he opened his mouth and he began to witness for quite a while about Christ, up until really he got to his hometown about a half hour away. And, and finally he turned to him and he said, Mr. Hanover, after this gentleman had listened politely, he said, Mr. Hanover, would you not like to make Christ your Lord and Savior? Well, he thought he'd throw him out of the car. But he pulled over and there on the side of the road he called upon the Lord and he was born again, wept, wept and, and wiped tears and rejoiced and dropped off Roger. And, and, and Roger never heard from him again. He just kind of thought that was the end of it. Roger went and he got married. And, and five years later he had two children when he had a business trip to make into Chicago. And he had the business card from that gentleman that day still along with him. So he decided to pay a visit to a Hanover Enterprises. He was surprised to see this pretty good-sized building there and, and a staff and a secretary. He went in and he asked for uh, Mr. Hanover. And, and the secretary said, well, I'm sorry, you, you, it would be impossible for you to see him, but you could talk to his wife if you'd like. And Roger didn't understand. He thought that was strange. And they ushered him into this office, and there was this lady in her 50s and, and uh, asked him to sit down. And, 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 and Roger began to tell her that he had met his uh, her husband that day, he never forgot the day, it was May 7th, he had written it down five years ago. And his wife, the, the wife of the guy, became very anxious all of a sudden, and, and she said, can you tell me anything about that day? And, and Roger thought, well, he, t- he told, her, told her about this and that, and finally he got up the courage to witness to her and tell her that he had witnessed to her husband that day and had led him to Christ, and she burst into tears and began to sob uncontrollably. And finally, when she got her composure... She said, uh, Roger never reached home that day. He was killed in an automobile accident. I'm a Christian myself who had prayed for him for years, and God had given me assurance that he would one day be saved, but I thought he had gone out into a Christless eternity. And she said, I have stopped serving God for the past five years. I questioned his faithfulness. She said, I am so ashamed that he actually did win my, my husband to Christ before his home going. You know, we have a God who is faithful in conversion. And, and God must draw us unto Himself in order for us to be saved. And I, I think today of so many of, of my loved ones that He has done that to. And, and, and how He has brought them to a saving knowledge of His Son. The Bible says in Revelation 1.5 of Jesus Christ, He is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. It says, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Notice Christ is the faithful witness, which is the Greek word martos. It means testifier. It means to give record or to attest. And that's what God does. He explains the truth of salvation to our hearts before salvation so that we can be born again. Because there is no way, I repeat, there is no way we could come to an understanding of on our own. Folks, we live in a world that is brainwashing people. And, and people don't know that they don't know that they don't know that they don't know. They are clueless when it comes to things of God. They are in a fog. You've got false doctrine all over the place that is misleading people. You have the devil that is duping people. 
I'm telling you, there are landmines all over the place when it comes to spiritual matters here. And we need someone to reveal the truth to us. Someone to, to disclose the truth. Someone to remove the scales from our eyes in order for us to be saved. Remember when Saul of Tarsus was going about murdering Christians, thinking he was doing a good thing? A religious clergyman, no less. Saul of Tarsus, lost as could be, on the road to hell until God in His mercy and in His faithfulness removed those scales. You could just see him falling from his eyes. God unveils his simple plan of salvation. He gives us light. He makes the truth plain. If he doesn't, we are clueless. He must uncover the truth for us. He must decipher the truth for us. He must uh, divulge the truth for us if we're ever going to be born again. We have a faithful creator who is faithful in conversion. We read this in Acts 15.8, And God, which knoweth the hearts, Bear them, notice, witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did also unto us. Here we find that the apostles are discussing how the Gentiles had gotten saved because God, who knoweth the hearts, bore them witness. God witnessed to their hearts. God drew them. God revealed the truth. There's no way we can figure it out on our own. No way. I was as clueless as could be trying to work my way to heaven for over 20 years, thinking because I've been baptized, because I went to church, because I tried to do good and tried not to do bad, that somehow when I died, my good would outweigh my bad and God would let me into heaven. And there are people all over this community and all over this country and all over this world believing the same thing. But salvation is not of our own works. It is a gift of God. It is by the grace of God. When we come to the end of ourselves and realize we are hopeless and helpless and hell-bound, needing a Savior, Jesus Christ, and we look to what He did on Calvary's cross as the only thing we're trusting in to save us, and we turn from sin and repentance and turn to Christ in faith and call upon Him and ask Him to save us, we're born again the Bible way. Plus nothing, minus nothing. But only God can show us that. So we see our God faithful in conversion, but secondly, we see His faithful criterion. There are some things attached that I want to show you. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with His grace. The first on His list of of faithful things, His criterion here, is His grace to do what He wants us to do. Now, after salvation, God has a plan for our lives. It begins with salvation. But for you and me, God has something that He wants us to do that he must be faithful by his grace in helping us to do it. When we talk about God's grace to do something after salvation, we're talking about something we don't have within us. It is unmerited, and it's something God must help us to do. The fact I am standing here speaking to hundreds right now is God's grace. I'll tell you that. If they had picked anyone back in high school least apt to stand and give speeches, if you will, I would have been voted that way. I'll never forget having to stand up in in college and actually give a speech. I died a thousand deaths before, during, and after because it's the last thing the world ever wanted to do. But we have a faithful God who, by His grace, can help us to do what He wants us to do. And we read that truth here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Notice with me, if you would, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. What a deal! You don't have to worry about doing it. And I don't know what the word it is for you. I know what it was for me. But faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. What is that it for you? 
What is it that you could never do that you need God's grace to do? God and His faithfulness to help you do it. Maybe it's uh, something you've given up on. Maybe it's something you've labeled mission impossible. Maybe it's something you say, I I could never do it. And you're probably right. You can't, but God can. And faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. The fact that there is a Bible-believing church in Fargo, North Dakota like this today is an absolute miracle. I don't know if you knew this, but Fargo's been a, a preacher's graveyard for churches like this for decades. And, and if it weren't God, it wouldn't be happening here. We are in the backyard of, of mainline traditional denominations, and churches like this don't spring up out of the ground. They take a, a faithful God. And God, by His grace, has done it. And as I look around, I, I think of this verse, Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. There is a God who will do it. I don't know about you, but I'm along for the ride. I'm just trying to hang on, basically. We have a God in heaven who is faithful in His grace. Secondly, our God is faithful to keep us from temptations. In fact, you're close. Just turn a page or two here forward to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we find this truth revealed here. 2 Thessalonians 3, and in verse 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Notice we have a God who is faithful in keeping us from the evil and establishing us and and, and undergirding our foundation so that we don't have to fall. We don't have to shipwreck. There are many who do, but we don't have to. God is faithful to establish us and keep us from the evil. Now, thirdly, as we look at this criterion, we find a God who is faithful when it comes to His promises. His promises. We read this in Hebrews 10 and in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. The profession of our faith, they're speaking of our our salvation and such, our true Christianity. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And, And you say, well, why? Well, for He is faithful that promised. We might get discouraged and we might waver, but God never gets discouraged, and and God never wavers. Many years ago, there was a a sailor, and and his ship wrecked and and was off the coast of this this particular continent, and I don't remember the details about it, but I do know that he was out in the middle of the ocean almost. I mean, miles from land, but there, there was this large rock that was jutting up out of the ocean. In the middle of a storm, he hung on to it. His name was Jim. And finally, they rescued him, and and brought him back to land. He was exhausted. And a friend asked, Jim, as you were, as you were hanging on to that rock, weren't you scared? And weren't you shaking? And he said, well, I sure was. He said, but the rock wasn't shaking. And folks, we have a rock. And, and, and he's not shaking. He is not wavering. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that hath promised. It's not about us. It's about his promises. It's all about His promises. Bible says in 1 Kings 8.56, Blessed be the Lord, according to all that He hath promised, there hath not failed one word of all His good promise which He promised. Oh, let us remember that. There are over 7,500 promises in the Bible. And notice this, there hath not failed one word of all His good promise which He hath promised. We have a God who is faithful in His promises. 
Fourthly, we have a God who is faithful in His provision. He provides. Most of us here are familiar with Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great preacher of London back in the latter 1800s. But maybe you've never heard of his grandpa, James Spurgeon. James Spurgeon was also a preacher. James Spurgeon, his, uh, his, his livelihood was preaching, but he, he also had to farm because he was so poor. He had a milk cow, and, and that milk cow was used to feed his many children that he had, one of them Charles Spurgeon's dad. James Spurgeon one day came out to his barn, and his cow was dead. And his wife said, oh, James, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? How are we going to feed the children? How are we going to have a livelihood? And James said, I don't know, but God will provide. Now, they didn't have two pounds to rub against each other, but that preacher had a faith that God would provide. Well, there were a group of wealthy London businessmen at that very time who were meeting, and they were having a, a meeting about perhaps any poor clergyman, any poor ministers of London to, to gather their money for and pool it and help to, uh, to feed these, these poor clergymen. And they had pretty much distributed everything when they had five pounds left over. And they said, well, what do we do with this? Not enough to really give to anyone. And, and somebody said, well, I've heard of a preacher by the name of Spurgeon, and, and he's over in Exodus, and, and, and he apparently could use some help. I, I think he's poor. And, and somebody said, well, we can't just give him five pounds. So somebody added five pounds more, another five pounds, another five pounds. Pretty, mu- pretty soon there was a postman that showed up at the door of James Spurgeon's home and, and wanted nine pence to uh, receive this letter. And Mrs. Spurgeon didn't have nine pence, but she found it, scraped it together and gave it to the postman and they opened it up and there inside were those 20 pounds, enough to buy a cow. And God had provided once again. We have a God who is faithful in His provision. The psalmist said, I'm old, but I've been young. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Many of us have heard of Dr. Wilbur Chapman, who was for many years a preacher. And there was at one time during his ministry when he fell on hard times. I mean, he was, he was desperate financially. His back was to the wall. And, and there was a, uh, a wealthy man in his church who got wind of it, and he went and visited the preacher and and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, is it true that uh, financially you're in trouble right now? And, and uh, Dr. Chapman didn't even want to say yes. He just kind of looked down and he, he shook his head. He assented to that, that fact. And the, the businessman picked out his, his checkbook. He said, uh, there's a dozen checks in here. I've already signed them. He said, take this and write them out to whatever you need, to whatever amount you need. He, he said, consider it paid for. By the way, I'd like to announce I'd be willing to do the same if, if anyone here would like to oblige in that area. I, but uh, not the principle, it's the money, you know. But no, seriously speaking, God provides. We find in His criterion here, uh, He's faithful in His grace. He protects us from temptations. He's faithful in His promises. He's faithful in His provision. Let me just say, number five, He's faithful in His reassurance. Look, if you would, just forward to 2 Timothy chapter 2. He is faithful when we doubt. He reassures us. Let me, let me show you this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 13, it says, If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. He cannot deny Himself. If we believeth not, there we are, and we're doubting. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you have a fear in your life. Maybe you're skeptical about something right now. 
or distrusting or, or reluctant or, or you have a deficit in the faith department or there's uncertainty in your heart. Is God faithful? We find here in this verse, He cannot deny Himself. He abideth faithfully. When our heart wavers, when we falter, when, when we're timid, when we're uh, bewildered, God is still faithful. He is faithful in reassuring us. Let me just say number six. He's faithful in His mediation or His reconciliation between us and the Heavenly Father. We read in Hebrews 2.17 of Christ that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. We have a faithful Savior who makes reconciliation for us. He is our mediator. And then let me just say, finally, as we look at this criterion of faithfulness, number seven, we have a, a God who is faithful when we are suffering. I, I love this verse. First Peter 4 and verse 19 says, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Are you going through it right now? Are you suffering right now? The Bible admonishes us to commit our souls unto Him for the keeping of them in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. We've seen His faithful conversion. We've seen His faithful criterion. Finally, let's take a look at this faithful challenge. Challenged us to be faithful. There was a logger who many years would go out into the forest and he would cut trees down during the day and he had this dog that uh, he always took along with him. His, his companion and sidekick. And whatever he told that dog to do, that dog would do. Well, one day he took him out into the forest there and he set his lunchbox down by a tree and he said, now, stay, stay here. And he went off to work. Well, that day there was a fire that was started there in the forest and it, it was a windy day and it, it spread rapidly and it, it was going the direction of that dog. And that logger did everything he could to get back to his dog because he knew that dog would do exactly what he was told to do. He would stay right there by that lunchbox, even with a forest fire sweeping through. And, and sadly, when he got to his dog, all he found was the charred remains of a dog who was so faithful that he obeyed right unto his death. How do we measure up when it comes to faithfulness? Now, now we know that we have a faithful God, and there's no question about that. The question is about us. We find a challenge to be faithful. We find Christ in Matthew 24, 45 saying, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Good question. Is that us? Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We find in the Bible many who are faithful. I think of, of Joseph, obviously, who was faithful with little and, and God promoted him. I mean, he was faithful watching sheep, and then he was faithful basically uh, running a prison or a jail. He was faithful in Potiphar's house. And finally, he's so faithful that he becomes really the leader of the world at that time under Pharaoh. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1 says, Let a man so account of us, that is, born-again Christians, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, and moreover... It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Are we faithful? You know, we can look at the Bible and there are those that were faithful and the Bible reads like, 
who's who when it comes to the Josephs or when it comes to the Daniels. You know, at the time of Daniel, they were trying to find some dirt on him. The other princes of the kingdom of Babylon were trying to get Daniel put to death somehow. And the Bible says in Daniel 6.4 that the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none, occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful. They're trying to dig up any dirt they could, and they said, we can't. He's so faithful. Are we faithful in our homes? Are we faithful at work? Are we faithful on the job? We read in Second Chronicles 34.12 that the men did the work faithfully. Are we faithful when it comes to our vocation, our occupation, our jobs, the thing that we do over 40 hours a week? There was a uh, man lived back in the uh, 20s and 30s by the name, the name of Leonard Kinnard. Leonard Kinnard was the president of a Bell Telephone, an Atlantic Telephone. They asked him one day with 25,000 employees under him, what is the, the, the best story he could tell of a, an employee who was dedicated. And he said it really involves a young lady, a girl no less, maybe, maybe 20 years of age. And he said, this story got back to me from a friend of mine. A friend of mine uh, set out to work in, in New York City back in the midst of a storm. And as he was driving along, that storm turned into a blizzard. And he was driving this fancy car and it ended up in the snowbank. And he was hung up and he couldn't get out, so he couldn't do anything else but button up his coat and try and walk the rest of the way to his office. Well, while he was walking, he came across this, this very slim young lady there who was fighting against the wind, trying to go in the same direction. And he hollered out to her and he said, it's bad out here, isn't it? She smiled and she said, yeah, it's bad. He, she said, I suppose it could be worse. And, and uh, so they, he said, well, let's make our way together here and, and make sure we get to our destination. And they traveled about 100 yards further fighting the wind and the snow, which was blinding by that point. And, and finally, this man said, this is no use. I, I, I don't need to go on. Let's turn back. And, and she said, nope, I've got to keep going. And, and he, he said, well, young lady, he said, why don't you just turn around, go home, and, and uh, don't worry about it. He said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to just get on the phone and conduct my business over the telephone. And, and she said, nope, nope, can't do that. She said, I'm your telephone operator. I'm your telephone operator. What dedication, what loyalty. And the men did the work faithfully. And by the way, Joseph did his work faithfully, and he was given more. Daniel did his work faithfully, and he was given more. There's a story told by a, a, a man by the name of George Bolt. He was a, a, a humble clerk at a little dumpy motel out on the East Coast years ago. And, and one night, this elderly couple, well-dressed, came in, and, and they were in town for a convention, and they asked for a room. And George Bolt said, I'm sorry, there's not a room available here. There's not a room available anywhere in town. And they looked very disappointed and turned around to leave. And he said, well, well, well wait a minute here. He said, uh, there's my room. I'm working all night. If you don't mind, I'll run up. I'll clean the sheets. You could stay there, and, and I'll just be down here at the desk anyway. And so they gratefully accepted, and he went up there. He took care of them. He made sure that they had everything they needed. He checked on them the next morning. And as, as that elderly couple was lead, leaving, the elderly man said, uh, you know, you ought to come work for me. I'm going to build a big motel one day, and, and uh, you could be my manager. I've been watching you. Of course, George Bolt thought nothing would come of it, 
until a few years later, he received a, a telephone call from that same man to come and, uh, and, and, and uh, take a train to New York where he would manage this new hotel that he had just built. Well, the gentleman was William Waldorf Astor. The, the motel was the Waldorf Astoria. And this young man, George Bolt, because he had been faithful and little, was promoted to, to perhaps oversee the most beautiful motel in the world at that time. You know, a lot of Christians want dynamite and, and yet they're not faithful with a firecracker. If we are faithful in little, God will give us more. There was a guy by the name of Leo Fortier who did nothing for 52 years but ring the church bell every Sunday morning to call people into church. But he never missed a Sunday. Can we be faithful? You know, a lot of people want to just climb the ladder immediately. They want all the glory, none of the gory stuff. They're not willing to earn their stripe. Where is the faithfulness? Where are the people who say, I'll be faithful in little? Where are the Caleb's? The Bible says of Caleb, but Caleb had another spirit. Caleb was faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you're there. Look at verse number 17. Paul says, For this cause have I left unto you, or sent unto you, Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord. Would the Bible call us faithful? There are a number of people that Paul called faithful. In uh, Colossians 1.7, it mentions Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And then in Colossians 4.9, it mentions Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. If we'd have lived at Bible times, would, would it have called us faithful in the Bible? Would it mention us by name and, and say, oh, he's faithful or she's faithful? You know, somebody so well said that our churches are one generation away from extinction in any country. It really boils down to our faithfulness now and the faithfulness of those who are to follow us. You know, if we want to be a, a, a blessing to God, we will be faithful Bible says in Proverbs 25:13 as the cold of snow in a time of harvest so is a faithful messenger to them that send him for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Do we want to be refreshing to our God? Let's be faithful. Plain and simple. Are we faithful in giving? Are we faithful in witnessing? Are we faithful in serving? Are we even faithful in our attendance? Are we going to be there every time the church doors are open? A number of years ago, there was a circuit court judge by the name of Shepherd. Judge Shepherd was actually a, a deacon in a church in Nashville, Tennessee. He never missed church. Never. His pastor was Norman Cox. And uh, one day, Brother Cox got up and he's preaching the gospel. And he looked out where the, the judge always sat and he didn't see him sitting there. And he thought, well, that's odd. I know he's not out of town. Didn't mention anything to me. And so after the service, he asked around, hey, you want to know where, where the judge is? Where's Judge Shepherd? Nobody knew. So Pastor Cox had this impulse, and he, he, he went to the house of the judge, and he knocked on the door, and there was no answer. He went to a payphone, he called the police, and he convinced them, this is out of character for the judge, something is wrong. The police came, broke the door down, found the house full of, of, of natural gas. There had been a, a gas leak in the furnace, and the judge was there on the floor unconscious, and if they'd have found him a half hour later, he'd have never made it. 
It was his faithfulness in church attendance that saved his life. You know, would we be missed like that if we're not in the house of God, or are we so hit and miss that no one would think anything of it? Are, are we faithful in the smallest things so that God might promote us and bless us? You know, the Bible says in, in Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, and with my mouth I will make known His faithfulness to all generations. This is our turn. This is our time. This is our generation. This is our decade. This is our century. And this is our responsibility at this time in history to be faithful. We have a faithful God. God help us to live up to it by being faithful. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.